you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. When someone said, you know, I thought maybe we were nervous as the date got closer because uh, maybe six months ago it seemed like we would be uh, in the clear and then uh, as the date got closer and it, it wasn't, uh, nothing was or is guaranteed. Um, I thought I was getting maybe a little bit nervous and thinking about everybody's safety and um, you know what we've been through as a band, um, you know, safety first. We, we uh, like every band up here, we care about you so fucking much. Um, but then another reason to get nervous is that we haven't played as a group for three fucking years. So, I think it was Boston, they tell me. We like Boston, we like Philly. Um, but see, we had never been to Asbury Park before. Um, we're so glad you made it. Uh, we're happy we could we could make it, and I think we're all gonna make it together. Thank you. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and today is a very special episode and it's not because you can't hear my voice at all because it's not like my normal speaking voice whenever i'm on this podcast gee i wonder what i've been doing the past couple weeks it is because this is finally we have reached it our 200th episode ladies and gentlemen this is a nice little milestone and as i've joked time and time again that it's okay it's it's 200 just by, uh, by the numbers so to speak and it's not necessarily our 200th show that we've covered we're about in the two late 220s 230s or so but i think it's kind of a milestone for us as a podcast just because for a lot of podcasts that are out there it's tough for them to get through a couple of episodes without just saying, you know what, this isn't working for us. And four years is a, is a really good achievement. It's something that I didn't know if we'd get that far 
when we started, but I think that four years is a good sign that we can probably do another four and then another four and then another four. And then at some point you'll just be like, all right, enough with these freaking milestones. But we thought within the milestone thing that this would actually worked in perfectly the episode that we're going to do today, because it is the one year well, close to the one year, because this is being released a couple days after, but the one year was on a Sunday. We're not going to release a podcast on a Sunday, especially on a show day. But now we can do it. It's See Here Now from last year. It's a good time to talk about it because a lot of things were going on back then. A lot of things have changed now. So it'd be good to kind of dissect everything on our 200th episode. So that's what we're going to do today. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Congratulations. Congratulations. 200. 200. It's only, I think it's only about 158 for me. It's about right. Yeah, I was actually yeah. going to ask that. Yeah. If it's 158 for, for you, it's like 192 for me or something like that's, that. That's fair. That's yeah, because I, I I had the, the, the baby break, and then I had a couple episodes here and there where I just said I needed the week off, but... Look, I, I, like I said, we shouldn't discount it at all. Like this is, oh, it's, yeah. it's a really important thing, especially, you know, the way that we've kind of treated and the way that we've worked on it from going to place to place and seeing everybody these past couple of weeks, talking to everybody. It seems like everybody has some little piece of respect for what we do. And I think that out of everything that somebody can say, I think that that's the thing that kind of sits with me the best because nobody knows what happens behind the curtain. Nobody knows that you're out there editing until one, two in the morning sometimes just to get something out for the next day or just to work around your own personal schedule. And maybe they realize that, okay, when they listen to an episode that, Hey, you know, this is, this is well done. This is, and, and, you know, it, it was never always that we had to learn to get there. Like it wasn't anywhere close to what it is now on day one, but it took a lot of practice. It did. And, you know, for people to say that they don't just enjoy the work, but they appreciate the hard work that we do. I think that that right there means the most to me because I, you know, John and I see it firsthand what goes into making this podcast. And I won't lie. It's time consuming. It's time consuming. I'm not saying it's not fun. It's totally fun. I love doing this. I love doing this more than any other project that I've worked on. Like it's, it's, it's right down my wheelhouse and you know, I love being creative with and giving guys some kind of idea of like storytelling wise and everything like that. You know, I, I, I am so proud of both of us for getting to where we've gotten to and saying all this and we're looking at you know the rest of their live catalog and we're like we still barely have scratched the surface so well, we still got a lot more even flows to cover that's right probably about 750 or so <laughs> especially if they keep adding on and adding on and that's adding right. on that's right I, I agree. I think the show's getting better and better, and I'm. I think this past year has been probably the best that we've done. I think I'm. You know, I'm excited for the next 200. And you know, it's been. We always kind of looked at at the tour as like that was the thing that was going to really have it take off and and get people interested. And it really has. I mean, we're kind of winding down here. We've got six or seven more shows as we record this, and like when it comes out, there'll only be a few more. But it's been really great to see 
people engaged and people still, you know, checking it out every week. And we, we mentioned last week, you know, some of the people that have been around since the very beginning are, are still there and like haven't burned out yet. So it's just really great to see, you know, that the community group on Facebook, the discord, the stuff, the, you know, all the people that follow us on Twitter, you know, that's just stuff keeps, keeps growing and growing. And it's, it's just a testament to, to what this band does on stage. And we're just kind of hopping on the comet tail of that and, uh, and, you know, trying to bring everybody along for the ride. So, I'm still, you know, super excited to come talk about these shows every week. I'm looking at the list of of what's coming up the rest of the year and like yeah, I'm just excited, you know, even even after the tour's over, we're still going to have some good stuff to talk about and hopefully into next year and beyond. And look, like we've been receiving emails from people that have been telling stories that are connected to these shows. And, and while I wanted to tell them right away, of course, I would have liked to share it on this episode. I didn't want their stories to kind of get, you know, swept under the rug here and, and, you know, not feel like they're important. So we're going to tell a couple stories next week, but that's the thing. I think the idea of just being able to tell stories and being able to kind of react to what everybody else, how, how they intake Pearl Jam, I think that that's important to us. So one of these days, and I know that there's so many new people that jump in, and because there are 200 episodes, I know for a fact that not every single person is going to go out there and listen to all 200. There are probably two or three people that have, you know, one of them being Aurelian, one of them being Bradley, and then maybe there's a surprise person out there. There could be. I don't know. If it's you, raise your hand. But one of these days we'll tell like the full history of Live on Four Legs a little bit to kind of get you familiarized with it. Because I think that now people kind of know the name. It's branded in a way. They, they know us as not just people that do it through Facebook and through Twitter and all that. But they know us as people now. So, yeah, one of, one of these days we'll, we'll be able to tell the full story of how everything transpired. There's a little bit of that on the website somewhere on the about us. All right. Well, we can, again, wax poetically about live on four legs, all that we want. However, that kind of ties into see here now a little bit, because it was the first show that we've ever had the opportunity to present ourselves in public. And that's not really counting the Fenway show. That was before we were a podcast. We were just, trying to get people to sort of pay attention to us that day. But now, you know, it'd become kind of a running thing. And, you know, we went to Jersey. Well, we meaning myself and Dave Jantosh and Chris Everett and David Ruthman. And if you want to hear those stories, those stories are going to be separate from here. That's out already. If you look on our on our feed, see here now, one year later, you'll get to hear the stories of us just kind of hanging out, getting to know one another and enjoying the show and some of the things that happen along the way. But yeah, I, I think that like people being able to see us and, you know, also going back to just being able to see people and them saying, even if it, they never had heard the show before, never listened, you know, they'll see it pop up on a forum. They'll see it pop up on social media somewhere and they know it. And now that that's how marketing goes. I always thought that back in the early, early days that if you did that and nobody paid attention, that means your, your marketing was shit, but you know, they proved us wrong. But now like we're at a point where 
it's just go out there and do it and just love what we're doing and people will follow, I suppose. So that's where it is. Let's talk a little bit more about See Here Now, because as mentioned, it was a long time coming. You got to go back to, of course, 2020. And before that, you go back to 2018. 2018 being the last time that they played a show. 2019, no shows at all. You thought, oh, man, you know, maybe they should have announced something. And there's very, very, very few tour years. That might be the first full year that they did nothing. Because you got to think 2017, they played the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's at least something. But 2019, they hadn't gotten together as a band in any capacity. Ed did a solo tour. I think Jeff released a record that year. I can't quite remember, but Mike was probably doing Peak to Sky, but nothing Pearl Jam related happened. So, you know, on in January of 2020, basically the first week of January, this we get the news that Gigaton is here and Gigaton is going to have a tour. It's going to have an extensive tour. We already knew, I think, by that point that they were going to Europe because I think that was announced about a month earlier. We just didn't know that Gigaton would be a part of that. And then, you know, everybody's excited for it in March and we're supposed to get these shows and then they're just swept up from under us. They're postponed. And pandemic happens, and we're all just kind of thrown for a loop here because everything that we wanted to happen that we were waiting for so long for had to get delayed even further. And then when we thought 2021 could have a chance, had to get delayed even further from there. So, and I told this a little bit on the roundtable episode that we did, but it was around, I want to say like April or May and Anthony Krushwitz from touring fan live. I kept talking to him. He was telling me about the charity event that he was doing, raising money for the project matters. And I loved that idea and I wanted to do everything I could to help. And, you know, he was just like, yeah, just get the ticket. Just, just go, just get the ticket. And it took a long time for me to actually like decide that because, you know, at the time of buying the ticket, we were, I guess, like seven months pregnant, eight months pregnant, whatever it was, probably, probably like six or seven months. And I knew that my 14 month old now was going to be two months old at the time of leaving him. And I was a little unsure that my wife gave me as much as support as I needed. She said, go do it. And so I, she knew that it was going to be something that, I was waiting for for a long time. So, you know, thankful that, you know, support from back then and then support for this year too, which has just been tenfold of all the support that I've gotten from my wife. And I love her and thank her so much for allowing this dream to come true every day. And I was a little hesitant about it because I just didn't know whether or not something was going to push it back again, whether it was going to get canceled again. And then all of a sudden, I start getting friends. Friends are saying they want to come now. And then this is starting to feel pretty good. This is starting to feel pretty good. It's like, all right, well, it's going to be a, it's going to be a friend's trip. You know, I'm going to go out into the community. And before, before this all happened at Pearl Jam shows, I, I would have gone to shows with whoever. My brother, my wife, Matt. Well, Matt's ingrained in the community, but, you know, just so to speak. But... It would never be anything involved with the whole greater scale of the community. It would just be me kind of going and enjoying it, which, of course, is great. But, 
you know, you see everybody that kind of knows everybody else and, you know, that they've been to shows together, that they rode together, that they hoteled together. And there was something about that that, like, that point made it special to me that people were able to make lifelong friends just through this band and just through going to see them live. So, you know, this was the first time I really thought to experience that and really thought that I could be part of this community outside of the little bits and pieces that I had already been a part of. So I think that's, that's, that's the start of that journey for me on this. Well, I think part of it too, is that we were so starved for live music and like that feeling of being in a room or being in a crowd with a bunch of people and, and getting that rush of, of adrenaline when the band goes on and having that communal experience with people. That's something that I know that I desperately missed through 2020 and 2021 and most of 2022, to be honest. And I think there was a big feeling of, you know, cause you saw that a lot in the Pearl Jam community where like people were really missing especially this band having that experience with them because these songs just mean mean so much to people and you know you've you, you're going back over 30 years at this point so yeah i think that it adds a lot to the experience and i i do want you to to talk about you know being there and kind of what the atmosphere was like leading up to the the show. I know you guys probably talked about that a little bit on the round yeah. table, but mm-hmm. I think it's, it's important to mention like just, I, I, I can imagine. I remember even leading up to this, I will talk about it. I watched some of it from my couch on my phone, thanks to the, the live stream, but I can imagine just the energy and on the, on the beach there, just being palpable, just people after three years, just being desperate for that, experience to have them come on stage and you hear it on the bootleg you know just the appreciation that the crowd has for them and like being able to come back after all these years and after everything that had happened and you know you know that you know there there's a couple of really good ed speeches in here that we're going to talk about too that you know that that's been on their mind too and we've we've heard him mention it at almost every show on this tour it's usually the first thing he talks about is like, oh, we were supposed to be here on this day in 2020 and you guys have waited two and a half years and we appreciate it so much. And I can't even imagine what it was like being there before they went on. Yeah, I think you got to go back to the Friday when we got there on the Friday and it was just raining on the Friday, you know, kind of a on and off, but like kind of like a very gray day. It didn't feel like, you know, you were about to have a weekend on the beach sort of deal. And then we wake up on Saturday and it's like the most beautiful September day. It's hot out. It was incredibly hot. You know, I believe I got sunburned and probably 90% of the people there got sunburned too, I would think. You're on the beach, you're on the sand, you're on the water. And because of that, because being on the beach, I think the nice thing about it was it wasn't a festival that allowed for much push and shove. Because, you know, you can't really do that in sand. You can't walk in sand that well. Right. So right. how can you start mosh pits and how can you be obnoxious in that? So anybody that would have been obnoxious was prevented in doing so. So it felt like everybody had a lot of personal space in this and that there were things that happened in the show where Ed had to stop for a little bit. But I think most of that had to do with either dehydration or things like that. But... 
I think that walking in there and it had been my first show in a very long time. I, I went and I saw a dinosaur junior social distant concert and it was just, I'm glad I saw it because I think it'll be one of those things that kind of go down as like, it's just such a unique way of, of doing the concert that you're never going to see that again. I hope, but you have to go back to February of 2020 when I saw they might be giants play the, the flood record in new Haven, Connecticut at college street music hall. That was the last time I had went to any show and, you know, walking in and, and like just seeing all the people and seeing everybody there for all the same reasons. And, you know, like we got in like noon, one o'clock. So there were just random bands I'd never heard of playing. And we went and we saw a band that Anthony's friends with called Jackson Pines. And they were pretty good. And, and then we got a nice spot. I want to say like 15 to 20 rows back. You know, we were able to see everything on Stone's side. It was a really nice experience. And everybody was pretty chilled out for a festival. Usually festivals, are there's a lot of people that are in your face. There's a lot of people that are at the festival just to be at a festival. And to me, this didn't feel like that. This felt like, if anything, people were there to really love the music. And I would say about like 95% of them were there because Pearl Jam was the show. So it was a great experience. And I think that that whole day, just nothing but laughs, nothing but smiles and nothing but big anticipation before the band took the stage. Cool. I think we can get into it. All right. Well, I painted a lot of the picture in the other episode. It's a good compliment to what we're going to do here, personal wise. And now we can get into what the band is going to do on stage, get a little bit into that. So for a lot of you that may remember, the band is going on pretty late. Like Avid Brothers ended kind of late and it's taken a little bit of time for them to get on the stage. And everyone's a little, you know, getting a little anxious. Like what's going on here? This is the first time back in a very long time. And then all of a sudden you see this big trailer come on the other side of the beach. And it's, it's this big bus with like a trailer hitched to the end of it. And it's just driving along and everybody's screaming. They know what's inside. And a couple minutes after that, the band comes out. And I'll never forget Ed's face because he comes out. He kind of looks to everybody and he does this thing with his hands just sort of like, there you are. Where have you been all my life? Like back in his normal element, seeing his face on that, it's just like, you know, I felt that connection with him right away again. Like it's just an amazing thing what this live music thing can, can do to you. And I think he, he was dying for it just as much as we were. And he was feeling it too. And of course the whole story about this is going to be the debut of Gigaton song. So right off the bat, the first Gigaton song that we had heard was Dance of the Clairvoyance, and that's the first one they brought to the table here.
what I want to do is I want to go back to, because this was like right at the beginning of the website. And what we did was we did a bunch of predictions for it. You remember the set list predictions that we did? Yep. Yeah, and we haven't done stuff like that since. I think that that was just kind of like the anticipation building for up for that was was just huge, and especially for the opener, I think everybody always has an opinion on what they want the opener to be. So, I believe you went with Long Road. Am I correct on that? I believe so, because yeah, I thought that you know that would kind of encompass everything that they had been through, you know, over the last couple of years. I thought it would have been a really pull in at the heartstrings, just go for the jugular right away and get everyone, just leave that crowd in a puddle right from the beginning. Yeah, I, I believe yours was Long Road and mine was Release. I thought that, you know, Release would be the song that would bring everybody together. And I thought they'd go into small town because they just want to scream hello to everybody and have that moment with the crowd and then start getting into some gigaton songs. But no, right off the bat, it's dance clairvoyance they want to showcase this and i think that thinking back to then like that's a really complicated song to play live and they figured it out now and they've figured it out and they've done a great job now it's it's been you know 30 or something shows since they played it for the first time so i think there was a little bit of a hitch in the beginning i think it sounded like mike was a little off on something maybe his guitar came in a little bit late and jeff was trying to find all the right spots and you know it, it was a little bit of like all right let's Let's get back into this. Let's figure out the groove. Because also, they had Josh back there, too. And Josh is extremely pivotal on that song, even though, at the time, my focus wasn't even uh, towards that. I, I wasn't paying attention to Josh at all, just because I wanted to watch the show. And who knew that Josh was just going to be hanging out behind the speakers back there? But he was. So I thought that the performance was, was very good and it was a good sign of things to come with these Gigaton songs because this is just, you know, we're going to get them, you know, right off the bat. We're going to get two more after this. And I think a lot of people said Dance of the Clairvoyance is going to be an interesting live one. If it was back in 2020, I think there were a lot of things out there that Dance of Clairvoyance might have been the, the opener almost every night. I think this was actually the only time it did open a show, as a matter of fact. But that's besides the point. What did you think of the performance on this? You can tell that they're a little nervous, I think. And like it comes comes with the territory after not being on stage for over three years. And especially coming out with a... And that's another reason why I would have thought Long Road, like come with something that they've got some familiarity with that, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been, you know, Corduroy or even something like Evenflow, which we saw, I think, open a set at one point. It's an interesting choice because you're, yeah, like you said, it's a it's a complicated one. But I think the real story you mentioned it is is this is Klinghoffer's first performance with them, and knowing you know what we know now, we're almost a full tour into it. We know everything that he's doing back there, and he's added so much. But I think a lot of it was like, really, like what's he what's he going to be doing? Like we yeah. we weren't real sure, but right away. You know, you said you weren't really paying much attention to him, but you can go back and hear like he's he's adding stuff and he's especially on vocals here, adding some some stuff and really, you know, complimenting what what Ed does very well. I think it was probably a good choice to kind of like show up and be like, this is a new era. We're starting fresh with new songs and a new, you know, touring member. And and here it is. 
Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that at all, especially because like I mentioned, first single coming out, it was going to be the one, and it's still, it, it leads to the clubhouse and all gigaton songs played, followed up by the next one. So you mm-hmm. kind of expect it to be almost every night. They, they've, they haven't been playing it every night on this tour, but um, it's still pretty much a staple, and it seems that it's going to stay a show staple for a while. They could have done anything, and the crowd would have just ate it up because it was them. That's it but it happened to be a brand new song. They want to showcase. And I think a lot of people, they wanted the gigaton right away. That's we spent a year and a half with it, trying to think about what it was going to sound like live. And I think the next one was definitely the one that I was anticipating the most. And that was quick escape. right from the very beginning mm-hmm. you can you can really hear jeff doing some really interesting stuff on the bass on the intro there and i thought about this too these next two that they're they're gonna do here both have lyrics that reference donald trump and there was a lot of uncertainty about like oh are they even gonna play those like they're gonna be outdated like you heard some people say, how are they even gonna deal with that oh they probably won't even play those because they're not relevant anymore yeah, that's something but, I was saying that, absolutely. Yeah, but they absolutely, he was still, you know, worked it in there, like made the changes that he needed to make. And 
you can see, you know, we even heard, you know, in the last few shows in New York, he's still got some bite to that lyric on these songs. So to them, it's still part of reliving that experience and not forgetting what happened during those years, obviously. But Quick Escape is the one that I think a lot of people came away from this being very, very impressed with. And he, you, you hear Ed already doing the little space shuttle countdown improv and then the, like, eject, eject. Like, it doesn't have quite the intense like breakdown chaos ending that it would get in in 2022 but it's very close this is i think one of the best performances of the night oh absolutely and i think the trump stuff will come up in the next song at seven o'clock because quick escape i was more focused on like just just the rock just just how the song moves you know the solos just how loud it can get and it was the one off the record that i was anticipating the most i knew that they were going to play it i knew that they were going to play it in a prominent spot but happening to be at the number two it being a debut it had that same sort of feel that like you get from corduroy of i feel like i'm at a pearl jam show and i think it was just because i got so obsessed with that song during the pandemic that it's something that I, I was anticipating so much, and then when I heard it, I'm like, yes, this is how this band is supposed to sound. This is what their typical big-time rock and roll songs should be like. And you're right, like there were things that still needed to be worked on with it to really perfect it, and now they have, because it's a terrific live song, of course. But even then, because you're taking it in for the first time your the desire and the hope is is all there and you're paying attention to it eyes are just going everywhere heads banging and all that and it really felt like we were in it at that point like it felt like the show was completed and honestly i the thing about this that i went absolutely berserk about was i don't think there was any knowledge that stone took that first solo you know it's 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 small it's kind of small but it's got a really like great almost screechy sound to it and sort of Mike is more soaring with his solo and then getting fast and kind of pouring it all out. But Stone gets to screech a little bit and I got very excited when I found out that 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 Stone had a little piece of that. So yeah, definitely agree. It was one of the best moments of the night. All right, so 7 o'clock follows up and the thing about 7 o'clock and this was the point where you know, maybe Quick Escape made you feel like you were at a Pearl Jam show, but 7 o'clock made you feel like, oh, this is a new kind of Pearl Jam show, because you'd think, Dance of Clairvoyance, Quick Escape, all right, you know, not the ideal, like, all right, you get from release into go into Hail Hail Animal, Corduroy kind of stuff, but it still fits in that mold a little bit, especially for a festival. And then 7 o'clock is just a totally different song on its own accord that you would never in the past 30 years had ever heard a song like seven o'clock being number three in the set and if it is then it's something you know more like a a a benny or something more like you know the slow burn stuff because it wasn't one of the things that fit to be a part of it if it were a couple tour years ahead of itself but now that we see it here and we kind of see how these sets are constructed where they balance a little bit more like they you know what they're doing here is they're going from quick escape to seven o'clock to corduroy to pick it back up and then the present tense to kind of get you to soar again and i I just thought that that was a genius way of changing the system 
for them. And obviously they've changed even more since then. But yeah, I think everybody was real, especially people that were around me were just really like there was a like a an audible gasp when seven o'clock hit. And going back to that, you know, the whole Trump thing and everything like that. I, I did think that I, I thought that this was going to be one sort of slated for the past, but no. And and the reason why it's not because I think the whole idea of the song, and I tie it into the line "much to be done," it's because we're still in the after effects of everything that happened, and you can still take a lot of what he was saying there. The lines "no time for depression, self-indulgent hesitance, this fucked up situation calls for all hands on deck." Like that kind of line, little other pieces of the song that still relate to how we're dealing with everything and how we're sort of recuperating from the Trump era and how we're still sort of we're fighting it, too, because it's it's really it's not dead yet. It's not dead at all yet. So, yeah, his his frustration remains the same of like we had sitting bullshit as our former president. Like, I think that frustration still remains to be true because of you know how much still absolutely needs to be done definitely and you can tell there's some fire behind that line you can tell he puts a little bit extra emphasis on that line to kind of indicate like oh yeah we're still feeling this a little bit like you said and yeah seven o'clock as far as it goes i think we can kind of call this a deep cut on the album you know it is six minutes long we were used to that point you know seeing the the fast ones you might have expected super blood wolf moon or something like that or one of a couple other ones that we're going to get later but I think, yeah, it was definitely a choice to, to come out with these three. Now, 7 o'clock has been cut more than any other song, but I still think these two were paired together on purpose, maybe for that reason to say, like, hey, we're going to play these. This is going to be front and center. We're, we're going to be here talking about it still. best songs to play live off the album and that's saying a lot because 
I don't think there's a bad live song off that record, which it's been a long time since we've had the ability to say that. So Ed gets to pause real quick. And again, it's not like you're getting this big punk rock set where you're getting four or five. That's what we were used to for so long. We're only getting 20 songs in this set, which I think that when we did the predictions, we thought that it would be about 25 or 26. And that was fair. Although I had no problem with the amount of songs that was played at all. It was all about like how the set went and, and what was happening in the set. I, I think that like you were just going with the flow with what they were doing and you were just kind of following along and saying, all right, this is the direction now. This is the new direction. And right here, he doesn't usually stop after the third song in, but almost every night he's done that so far on yep. this tour. So we got the moon lighting up the ocean, Patty Smith warming you up and busting down the door like she does. And then talks about the show getting closer and getting nervous and thinking about everybody's safety. We haven't played as a group for three fucking years. Last time we played was in Boston. Well, we like Boston. We like Philadelphia. But we have never been to Asbury Park before. We're happy we all made it. And I think we're all going to make it through together. And that gets to Corduroy. Corduroy being the first, quote-unquote, veteran song of the night. And like I mentioned before, Quick Escape was really the one that made me feel like I was a part of the show. Corduroy comes up and it's gravy and everything like that. But I usually kind of get a little emotional when I hear Corduroy because it does take me back to that. And this version, I didn't. And I think I was just kind of like, yeah, we're, we're in this already. We're, we're, we're doing this. And, you know, I was able to kind of pay attention to the song and listen a little bit more, especially for the intro. You hear the way that Matt's playing it. Usually he's just like, he drives it. Like he's got the bass drum on tap, boom, boom, boom. And then he builds up to that. But this one was more, closer to what Jack would do and just kind of like sort of give a little bit of a beat and then build right at the end on that last little measure there. And it's loosening up. Yeah, Corduroy is loosening yeah. up a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm, for sure. And then I think the you know the, the big moment in this, and I, I telegraphed it. I think that other people around me telegraphed it too. I was waiting for the absolutely everything's changed. Like that was the that was the moment from that that I think I just screamed out because I knew like of course they're gonna say that. Everything has changed. Absolutely everything's changed. Take my hand, not my picture, spill my tincture. part of the story coming into this that you know they have to play corduroy it being one of those songs that really just engages a crowd and look at the world around them now if absolutely everything hadn't changed then we would have seen this band a hundred times in between 2020 and right now so and that's not where we're at but i love that little extra fast and i was really waiting for it and it just felt rewarding to get that when he said that line that line has meant a lot of different things since it started doing it in the year 2000. But this one is maybe one of the most charged ones that there's there's ever been. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever heard him really go at it like this in a way that's like both kind of triumphant and like, yes, we're back, we're here, we're able to do this again in front of people. And in a way that like we're acknowledging that things have been real shitty for the last couple of years and 
knowing like what everyone's lost and what everyone had been through to get there i think this is one of the lines where you know we always talk about how you you can really tell it's doing he wears his heart on his sleeve and this was the first one for me where i thought like oh okay he's feeling it on stage right now he's in the, in the moment here yeah and you know there weren't a whole lot of emotional moments i think that there were rewarding emotional moments and not like i think you can go maybe to my city of ruins if you want to get like something a little bit deeper in that sense but there weren't like a light years kind of song and wish wish list you kind of had a little bit of that too but yeah, that like, was surprising like i'm surprised they like thinking that they were going to start with Longwood. They didn't go for the big emotional moments of this show. You know, there's no black. I, um, and I get why. Yeah, yeah. I totally get why. I think they were just excited to do this again. That they wanted to leave the emotion behind them. You know, it's a beautiful night on the beach. And they just wanted to play to that atmosphere. And I think that maybe there was some of that in San Diego when they played San Diego this year because there were a lot of songs that were tied into the location that helped that but you know for this they were just wanted to go they hadn't played in so long and you know how we always say with mike you know you're keeping him locked up in a cage and and when when he's ready to come out he's just ready to burst but all seven of them were like that at this point and that's the crazy thing about this so yeah corduroy after the absolutely everything's changed it just went off. Mike went off. Electric crowd moment. And it's a just a great choice to be the first. I don't, I don't want to say recognizable because everybody knew the other ones, but to be the first like veteran song to be played, I think it was a perfect choice in that aspect. Afterwards, Ed is going to introduce Josh Klinghoffer and also say that a year and a half ago, we were ready to play. We had new songs. We had this. We had that. And we were new... Uh... We're going to start touring quite a bit. It was one of the inside jokes of naming the record. Um, we called it Gigaton. So it's a unit of measurement, but it also, you could say gig a ton. We thought we were going to be on the road for quite a bit. And then, uh, an ex- you know, the extraordinary and uh, unthinkable happened. But uh, we were excited to play on tour, we're excited to play new songs. We're also excited because we had a great opener. Um, the opening band was going to be a friend of ours who just put out a great solo record. And uh, we started working with them to also fill out some of the new songs. So our special guest tonight, covering all the bases and filling in some of the words, Mr. Josh Klinghoffer on the guitar, drums, and piano, and vocal. Everybody made that joke, not just Ed. So good to see that everybody's in pure dad form in this community. And introduces Josh as being a member of the band. And then says, see here now, we're here in the present tense. And boy, did I lose it right at that moment. Catch the sun's rays, or let 
to be applied Are we getting something out of this All in compassing You can spend your time alone Redigesting past regrets Terms and realize you're the only one who can make yourself. ties into the milestone that we're talking about today with this podcast and 2020 was tough because 2020 it felt like while we were growing it also felt a little bit difficult to continue to put the message out there through social media and it takes a lot of work to do it and i think that in that like first part of the pandemic it took a lot more work than was expected you know you'd think that everybody would want something to do on their leisure time but a lot of you guys out there you have kids and obviously child care was really really important very very early on in the pandemic I'm not saying it's not important now but you know what i mean that you basically had to do school with the kids and people just kind of lost some time for doing leisure stuff like podcasts so you know that that was at that point like it was tough it was really tough to move on and thinking about all this a lot thinking about engagement thinking about marketing thinking about little odds and ends with the podcast i I took it very seriously and present tense was really the song at that point that sort of became a mantra for me it became the song that i took to heart like sometimes you can hear a song over and over and over again and the lyrics may not attached to you anymore and it's like kind of like old hat it's kind of like when your dad gives you the same advice over and over and over again you're like "Uh uh-huh i get it i heard it the first time and it didn't work the first time so i need to go elsewhere with this but it seems like present tense and the advice that that is presented in that i think just during this time hit harder than ever because if you keep looking backwards at everything and and trust me if you looked backwards in 2020 you couldn't you couldn't focus on that because it was so different and it was never going to be the same it's still as much as we like to pretend it is it isn't the same we live in a different world that's just the truth so to focus on what's happening in your life now to focus on not the what ifs and not the, the the possibilities that could come with this outcome, but just focusing on what's happening at this very moment. It helped kind of reshift the focus a little bit. It helped put together my thoughts, helped me collect my thoughts, and after a while, just be kind of okay with things just happening the way that they did. And that meant that my intake of all of it could be a lot more enjoyable without having to deal with any bullshit kind of things that that I thought was too difficult 
And of course, during the pandemic, The Last Dance made the song super popular. And everybody knows it at this point. People that didn't know No Code now knew the song. And yeah, it was just the perfect moment for that. I don't think it really gets played at number five, especially, you know, maybe maybe sometimes when they did a, a, a slow burn three, it would get played as, as the number three or something. It's gotten opened with a few times, but to go like corduroy into present tense, that couldn't have been done a whole lot before that. This was the most powerful moment for me personally for the night and everybody that was around me, and you'll hear that in the round table, I knew that everybody felt the same on this. There's a really good crowd moment too where the crowd takes over and gets to sing for the first time. And I remember that hitting me pretty hard watching the stream of it. And yeah, I mean, think back to a couple of years ago. I mean, Present Tense was the song that was at the forefront of our minds with Pearl Jam because of The Last Dance. I think it had even like charted on some of the streaming stuff for people going back and finding it and listening to it. So yeah, this was one of the ones that had a little up arrow, probably two or three up arrows by like, this song is in the on the forefront of our minds right now. So I'm not surprised that they played it early on here. And it elevated this song into probably my top three or top five. Uh, number six in the set is Never Destination. This is obviously the debut of Never Destination. It only got played seven more times after this point. You know, Never Destination off that record was probably like one of the least ones that I was looking forward to because I just thought that it was a little too wordy. It's a little too complicated to follow live and to sing along with that live. But I will give them a lot of credit because they put together a nice version here it seems to be one that is either a major hit or a major miss live that they've done it in the last seven times that they've done it but you know they seem to like it and then you know i think that there's this big piano spot somewhere in the middle of it too when uh, mike has a solo which you really don't pay attention to mike's solo in this one and you should because it's it is a highlight i don't know what was happening but you heard that like kind of piano vibe that was going on there must have been boom if anybody i I think it was i think it was josh because he mentioned josh early on that when he talks about josh he mentions he's going to be playing some piano yeah i think this is definitely josh on the piano and i'm with you i think for me it always sounds like the beginning of worldwide suicide so i'm always like why are they worldwide suicide here and it always ends up being being never destination yeah it's one that i don't think really resonated with a crowd like a quick escape or like a dance of the clairvoyance or even something like super blood wolf moon but yeah you you mentioned it i think it it suffers from the worst parts of gigaton being just too wordy and too unwieldy to really attach yourself to if you're in the crowd
performance-wise, very good. But I think the whole point of some of these songs and why some of them have lasted and some of them haven't has been the way that crowds have received them on First Impact. And that one's kind of somewhere towards the end, somewhere towards the middle, while Quick Escape and Nancy Clairvoyance and Super Blood Wolf Moon have risen to the top. So Never Destination finishes up and Ed says probably one of the most prominent things of the night. I'm, I'm old enough to have a daughter that, that is uh, now bringing homework that, that's like, um, like calculus. And, um, you know, I, I told her I can help her out with that because I'm, I'm really good with numbers. And um, so uh, I'm good with phone numbers. So I called a tutor. And, um, and, and I was able to help her out that way. But I, my real problem lately has been with English. And, and that's because I've had such a difficult time thinking about how to, how to communicate. Um, like the, the question that we have, why, why aren't we able to, to come together more closely when we're faced with such huge challenges like climate change and the pandemic as a country and as a planet? This is when we need to be united and not divided. It's what I, I think we all feel sometimes. And I wish we could reach out to our neighbor and I wish we could understand our differences. And I wish we could come together and fight, you know, as if aliens were coming down from the universe, you know, just like an alien virus comes in and infects us all. I just, I just wanted to be united and I, English was failing me, so I went to simple math. I'm gonna try out my equation on you. So, multiply love, add hope, subtract fear, and end division. I think it's one of the most prominent things he said in the Gigaton era so far. Oh yeah, just a poignant line, and he turned the dad joke about the calculus homework into something really meaningful and really kind of poetic. And yeah, I agree. I just think he's he's being really earnest and really honest and, you know, just, just talking about how he feels. And especially being at this show, I think it, you know, for all of us watching too, you know, we should mention Tom Jones, who was the hero of, of this night doing the, the stream for everybody. So we were all able to kind of watch from home one of the most important since they've been back, I think. And yeah, I remember listening to this and being like, wow, like that, that hits hard right now because 2021, you know, we're obviously the, the pandemic is not over, but by 2021, we were getting a little more divided and you, you were starting to see some of the, the weariness of, of people starting to wear on and starting to see some, some things happen that, that probably shouldn't have. So he's focused on the positive and yeah, it's a really good line. I agree. I think it's, it's one of his best of the post COVID era. And you're totally right. Tom Jones was the hero. You know, everybody celebrated him for for a long time. And we were trying to get him on the podcast after that, too. And I think there was a time where I guess he was just too busy to to get on it. But I actually ended up meeting him over an MSG. And uh, just a nice guy. And uh, just a big shout out to Tom. Just, just one of the great people in this community. And when people call him a hero, they're right. Not just because of what he did, because he's just a good guy, too. Even Flow is coming up in here and changes some lyrics here. I can't tell when I'm happy. I haven't changed. Hmm. The one thing he does say 
kind of in a chorus actually he he kind of goes off script a little bit i guess he's looking at signs and stuff like that i don't know if this was the sign but it would make a whole hell of a lot of sense i saw a sign at this show from somebody that said this is my 40th pearl jam show but my first one sober and i'm like 90 percent sure that this is probably the sign that he was addressing and saying congratulations to and if so then that's that's a perfect one to do it for so i thought the version was pretty funky had a little bit more of a groove on it when you think back to like even flows and just kind of going speed drill kind of versions no this kind of had almost like the original vibe to it they were able to kind of pace it out a little bit and and you know that now like they're working with it a little bit and they've, they've kind of fixed it to be almost like this every single night now where it's not a blistering version no this is back to almost uh, almost an original groove kind of even flow well, I think a lot of it is due to the looseness of them not having played for so long. And, you know, they probably did, like, one or two rehearsals, but I'm sure they were still kind of being careful and distancing and trying to stay in a bubble over this. So I'm, I don't think there were probably a lot of rehearsals for this. You know, they probably were relying on a lot of the stuff that they did before what was supposed to be the 2020 tour. So, yeah, I think that... You would see that with even flow, you, you you know, you see it now kind of go back to the way it was a little bit. But I think the show is a really loose show. That's because of their lack of rehearsal time. And, I, and I'm, I'm not saying that in, in a negative way. I think it adds a lot to the songs. Like you said, it, it gives kind of even flow the groove back. It's nice to hear them in that mode because you know, it's not something we get a lot. One of Jeff's quotes that I remember going into this show and going into Ohana as well is that he would just turn on Pearl Jam Radio on Sirius and he would listen to some songs. Like they would come up with about 60 that they were going to be set to play within all three weekends that they did. And Jeff would be like, okay, it's in this key and this song, I got to remember that it's this signature. And yeah, like that goes to tell me that they probably didn't play together a whole lot if they were really focusing and putting things together based off of that instead of figuring it all out as a band so yeah that again the looseness was a good thing in the show and i think that definitely had a benefit for the band that was just trying to ease into things too so all right ed does this middle name thing and says Michael, what? I don't even think I know your middle name. It's Michael David McCready. And then it's like, Mike, do you know mine? And at this point, I'm just screaming Jerome. And yeah, it's it's Edward Jerome Vetter. Even though when he was Edward Severson, I believe he was born Edward Lewis Severson. So I don't know where that changed at all. But it was it was Mueller at one point. Yeah, I think it went from Severson to Mueller to Vetter. And yeah. Mueller was his his stepfather's name right, right and then took his mother's name after his stepfather left so after that he, he's discussing uh norm mcdonald uh, he checks on a crowd member but the norm mcdonald thing was was very relevant at that time and i think he even brought up norm in one of the shows you know over the summer maybe in europe or maybe in on the west coast or something and he brought him up again and he kind of talks about losing charlie watts within this which makes sense for what's about to happen and said that the big thing that Norm had always said was that, you know, I want people to be sad at my funeral. When you find out I'm dead, just be sad for a little bit. And Ed says after that, he's like, well, I'm sad right now. And then goes into Wishlist. And Wishlist, there's a lot of changes in the lyrics on the Wishlist that are, you know, very localized, like all Asbury Park's hands up raised. 
as fortunate as New Jersey, full moon shining off Mr. Springsteen's hood. And then after that, we get a little stoppage time here because Ed notices something in the crowd. The Tom Jones cam is pretty close to it. You don't see the person that it's affecting, but you do see people kind of huddling around him and then, you know, giving the thumbs up when things were good to go. But man, during these four shows, it seemed like every night there was one person that something happened to, whether it was like dehydration, whatever it was, it seemed like there, there was this issue that popped up almost every single time, which is unfortunate. And, you know, I think that people need to continue to take good care of themselves. These, these days are long. These days are long. I, you know, I woke up to get on merch line. I got on merch line at nine o'clock for MSG 9am. And I didn't get home in my bed until three, like two 30 or three. So these, these days are long and you got to pace yourself. You really got to take care of yourself when you're at these shows, especially when you're outdoors at a festival, you need your water. And if you need yeah. to take a minute to get out of the crowd, then take a minute to get out of the crowd. Everybody's going to be cool. They will let you back in. If you were there since eight o'clock in the morning, they will do that. Just get yourself some space, get yourself some air. If you need it, get yourself water bathroom. If you need it, it'll do you good. 100% agree. And especially because a lot of us are, are not getting any younger. So, you know, I, yeah. I can't, I can't do what I could do when I was, 18, 19, 20 years old. I'm 44 now. I gotta, I gotta take it easy. Yeah, wish list I thought was, again, I think this was one of the, the things I talked about after the show is I, it really felt like a resurgence of wish list, partly due to the Rolling Stones tag, waiting on a friend, which he changes to wishing on a friend, which is a nice, you know, nod to kind of tie it into wish list for Charlie Watts. I thought that was really nice of him. gigaton song of this set that's super blood wolf moon not a song i was very high on the very beginning people might remember that my big quote about it was it felt like it was a 250 hitter 260 hitter didn't bring a lot to the team my opinion on that has changed a little bit i think that you know hearing it after whoever said and in between dance and clairvoyance gives it a lot of backbone on the record and it's still like not ever going to be one that I love, but hearing it live, like you can feel the energy from it. And, you know, especially on this version where Ed's like, all right, let's get a clapping session going. He's clapping with everybody. And, you know, there, there are good moments in this. This is a good live song, a good participation song. And honestly, it might not be as good in the outdoors as it is in an arena atmosphere, especially during this version where you don't, have 
any prior history with it aside from being on the record so i think in the arena you're able to see all everybody clapping and and they've really kind of found a good groove with it but here for the first time it sounded like the song had a lot of potential and they were able to ride the wave of momentum after this Josh, where they're kind of, again, just like Dance the Clairvoyance, where their their vocals are kind of playing around each other, and kind of dancing around a little bit, and that 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 was cool to hear. But you know, I'm with you. I really do not like this song on the record. But one of the things that I've come to realize about Gigaton is I think that you know now that we've gotten you know 30 something shows under our belt here. There's a big difference between the Gigaton songs live and what they are on the record. I think we hadn't seen that since Riot Act. And, you know, some of the songs off of Lightning Bolt and Backspacer and Avocado obviously turned into very good live songs. Your Unthought Knowns and Inside Job, Lightning Bolt, things like that. But I think as a whole, what's really kind of grown on me with Gigaton is the way that they've been able to elevate these songs live. And yeah, Super Blood Wolf Moon is one that I think really fits better in a live setting than it, than it does on the record. And you can say that about a lot of these, which is the sign of a solid, you know, Pearl Jam record late in their career. You know, you could say that about whoever said, you could say that about Take the Long Way, which we're going to talk about, and obviously Quick Escape and Seven O'Clock. So yeah, I, I agree. This is one that I was really not excited for, but after hearing it here, it kind of was like, okay, take a step back. Give, give, give it a chance and like the clapping section you know that when when it has a little breakdown there i think they really did a good job translating it hey john you recognize something that we're doing right here and of course this being our 200th episode we have to kind of throw back to the past right yeah because yeah. we are going song by song it's Im- impossible up until take the long way it's impossible not to do this with each song because we have to give the Gigaton songs their due because it was the first time we heard them. And it's also the first time we've talked about them ever 
well, not ever, but ever as a set list. <laughs> it's yep. part yep. of the set list, I suppose. Not so, in like an instant reaction episode or anything. Exactly. Like, no, this counts towards the live on four legs numbers now. So it's serious game right here. So, and of course now it's, is the best time to cover it because we have all the reps under us that we, we know what these songs have become and developed and turned into. So we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll fly through in a little bit, but I think, Red Mosquito and then Daughter, like Red Mosquito, Ed, of course. This was the joke between everybody for these couple shows here. This one and then the first Ohana one, because going back to Fenway, this was played on the second night at Fenway, the last show before all this, Danny Clinch came out and did harmonica on it. And here, obviously, this is a Danny Clinch event. This is Danny Clinch's baby. Of course, they're going to invite him to come out and do it here. happens to be over in Dana Point in Ohana to go in and do this at the first night of Ohana last year. So he had a nice little three-show streak of playing Red Mosquito that might not have been done since the Ben Harper days where he was playing the slide guitar on it. So mm. what'd, you, what'd, you, what'd you think about his harmonica? I really loved when Danny and, and Mike were kind of jamming together. I thought that like it has like this electricity to it. You know, it kind of like pumps the song up a little bit and kind of recharges the band in a way. Well, they give him an extra measure of it, I think, both times. I don't know if that was, you know, that was done on purpose or if that was on the fly to give him an extra spotlight with it. But yeah, I mean, if I'm Danny Clinch, I'm telling people I was a touring member of Pearl Jam for three years <laughs> in between Fenway and Ohana. I mean, for a while he was he was in the band just as much as Boom and Josh. So fantastic job. And, you know, we've seen him, you know, on this tour, you know, being in the in the pit, taking pictures. He's been posting stuff on his Instagram and everything. Some really nice fantastic, pictures. Fantastic pictures. And, you know, looking forward to, to seeing what he does with those. But it was the running joke for a while. They're like, oh, he's in the band now. 
And I wonder if Klingonoff would just like beat him for a spot if they were competing for it or something like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Or like they just couldn't have both egos in the room. <laughs> no, it, it was... Because back there taking pictures too. We saw, we've seen him with yeah, the Yeah, right. Oh, so the, when they'll break out a, a tent song or a versus song, he'll put the instruments down and start taking pictures. So, yeah. We're creating a fake rivalry here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Danny actually did end up playing with Jackson Pines, who I mentioned before. And he did uh, some kind of old classic kind of blues song. I don't remember what it was, but being over there for that, because we didn't last on the shorter stages the the small stages for very long because we wanted to spend the day waiting for Pearl Jam and of course Patti Smith ended up being on that stage and the Abbott brothers ended up being on that stage so there were other bands that I wanted to go see but sometimes if you have a band like that where it's the reason why you're there then you camp out and you see what you can do but you also make it a point to go get food as well which we did and that's a great story for guess what the round table that's right you can go back and listen to that probably on the episode right before this one that pops up so yeah red mosquito great i can't wait because someday i feel like it's everybody gets to meet danny clinch it seems and i can't wait to someday finally meet him chat with him he's retweeted some of our stuff before so maybe he knows who we are i would love to just have a conversation with him because he seems like a really down-to-earth guy and he's an absolute legend he's an absolute stud all right daughter here you get daughter and it has a little bit of the hi-hat intro but nothing like on the record, but still pretty recognizable when you get onto it. Good fan engagement here, good sing-along, and I think he needed the sing-along to kind of come back because he didn't really have one since Evenflow, so you know, now we're getting dipping right back into the hits after a Gigaton and a, a no-code track and everything like that. And the big thing, this goes back to them opting not to do emotional moments because I think the thing for me that was a lock I always thought that they would do Daughter, but, you know, if they're going to do Daughter in this spot, I thought it was a lock that It's Okay was going to come because I was kind of thinking along the same lines, and and this can kind of develop a point in just a second, that this is kind of like the Jones Beach moment with Daughter, that they play it, and it's kind of like a moment where everybody can sort of heal together. And there was none of that at the show. There was really no healing at all, which I find interesting. And I guess the only way that I can explain it is maybe they thought that doing Daughter into It's Okay, they've done that before for that very reason. And maybe they thought that it was just like, okay, we have another statement that we want to make with WMA, which they basically do the entire song.
about the summer prior and everything that was going on the summer prior. Imagine if there was no pandemic, but everything still stayed the same. And they were doing, you know, a swing state tour in 2020. This would have been a huge talking point, talking about all the racial injustices, talking about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And that is still on their minds at this point. And they didn't have to say anything, just like we talked about in that episode where we talked about Ferguson. They didn't have to say anything to make their point heard in here. Yeah, you can tell when Jeff goes into the actual WMA baseline that, like, this is going to be something else. And it goes on for a long time. Like I said, they almost do the the entire song. And it's it's definitely one of those moments that you can tell there's something bubbling under the surface there on stage. And, like, they're definitely thinking about stuff. And there's there's more going on there than, than they're letting on, which can lead to some of the, the best performances. I'm a little surprised that, that It's Okay hasn't shown up at all. Yeah, so am I. Since the show. We haven't seen it all in 2021 or 2022. Hey, I'm, I'm all for changing it. But then sometimes... You got to look at it and you got to say, like, look, it's okay. Always, always, always works. So well, if they hit it in Denver. It's going to just bring the house down. And I think that could be, yeah, I think that could be a good possibility. All right. Our last gigaton, sixth and final gigaton's debut of the night and song of the night is Take the Long Way. I thought that Take the Long Way probably had the second to least chance of being played at the show just ahead of buckle up and maybe comes then goes as well i don't think there was any idea that comes and goes would end up not being played at all at this time you'd think that they'd end up playing all of them but i just didn't consider this one i think when i kind of heard it for the first time i was just like i didn't really think that this was a live song at all it kind of reminded me in a way it's a cavern song so it reminded me of get right in a way and it just like had these pieces in it that had really tough transitions because of the time signature that Matt was putting together and it just also I don't think is one that completely draws the fans in like a Super Blood Wolf Moon does because there's no singing and clapping section it's just one that's like okay this is a cool rock song but when we heard it this night I was like yeah alright I'm actually pretty excited for this and thought it was a good live song and now they've only played it six times they really haven't touched it at all but maybe every now and again maybe every other show or so maybe they should go back to it is it going to be like the get right or the speed of sound not speed of sound in in sound wise but in total amount of plays from this record I don't know I have no idea but it kind of it falls within that category, the same category that All Right and Retrograde and Buckle Up are in right now, where the, the band seems to be taking more priority on the others.
think, you know, we have our preconceived notions about the Cameron songs, like you mentioned, Get Right and Evacuation, stuff like that, that just haven't stuck and haven't been played because of, of how, again, kind of just unwieldy they are live. But I think Take the Long Way is different from those. I don't think it'll end up being lumped in in that group because I think it has a really good McCready moment in it. I think this is the one that you mentioned where Ed points to Mike and be like, watch him on this one. Um, Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, Mike absolutely goes off at the end and gets to a really good place on it. So I think that'll end up being its redeeming quality a little bit, that it does have the big McCready moment that, that they always go for live. So yeah, this is another one that I don't I don't think the studio version really hits, really resonates, but if they can turn it into a big solo, then I think it'll find a place and it'll stick around, maybe. We'll have to see what happens at this point. Again, we're only at the number six, but who knows? It feels like there have been songs on this tour that they've found like an, a renewed energy with. Think about Dissident. Yep. When was the last time Dissident been played four times in a year? No, it could happen. So, you know, anything could come into play here now. All right. As mentioned before, we had been going song by song here, and now we're going to go and package some of these together because these all last five at the end of your very standard take me to a, a big time Pearl Jam set kind of songs. Festival, and right here, yeah. yep, mm-hmm, festival or even just a regular show. Like you can get these almost any random night that, 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 that they're playing basically. So small town, given a fly, I got something on two of these and then state of love and trust. You can kind of attach them together, small town and given a fly. As I mentioned before, this was my son's second month of living. I suppose you could say that is not the best way to describe that, but yes, he was two months old at the time. And the two songs that I played for him, you know, in little bits and pieces were both given a fly and small town. So when they got played together in this package, I'm almost thinking like, wow, somebody's paying attention. Somebody like did Alexa or something give the band a message that, oh, Randy has played small town and given the fly the most out of any Pearl Jam song in his house. And Pearl Jam said, oh, all right, well, those two sound pretty good together. You can get the crowd up on those two. But I think, you know, for Given a Fly, I always thought that, like, you know, when he was born, I kind of thought of the line, just a a human being that was given a fly. Him being obviously so fresh and new to this world, and still is, that everything is just right in front of him. And whatever path he chooses to go, like, it's open for him right now. And I still think that about him. song that like i hope that when he gets to be a little bit older he can attach himself to and uh, maybe i'll scream the well fuckers line (laughs) we'll see we'll see about that when he's with me maybe maybe he can get away with it but 
maybe not at school or something like that. But then in Small Town too, like that was just a lullaby that I I, I, I sing for him sometimes, and you know it, it just made me at that point kind of miss everything that was back home. And I won't lie, at some points in this little trip, I, I have thought the same kind of thing, like you know going back to it, like man, you know being on tour is great, but like I, I know I've missed things that he's done that uh you know he's still growing and he's still learning to do stuff new stuff and say new stuff every day and you know i know i'm missing it i'm taking a real gamble and making a sacrifice to miss all that and um you know makes makes me miss him so that 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 went into part of it that kind of went into a big part of my uh attachment for these two right here so uh yeah just just personal and special to me i agree and i i really like the placement of Small Town being the first one in this, the run of the the quote-unquote classic songs here. Get the um, My God, It's Been Three Years. That was, I go back to the Absolutely Everything's Changed line, and it's the same kind of thing, you know? Yep, that's what I was going to say. I mean, he does the Glad I Saw This Place, Thank You For Taking Me Again, you know, the setting there on the beach. I don't think they played on, on the beach in a long time. But Given to Fly, I think, is the one I, I referenced to where I'm, you know, watching this on my phone, on my couch at home, and... I got a little emotional watching Given to Fly from my couch. Like, man, like, this is happening right now. And I, and I, for all the same reasons, you know, being a parent, the song hits a little harder. But, yeah, this is the one watching it where, like, oh, man, like, they're back and this is happening. And, like, it, it's definitely got some emotional weight to it. Yeah, the crowd picked up on both of these songs. Coming off of Take the Long Way, I think you needed two big ones. And really, it's just the rest of the set is just like the, the classic standard Pearl Jam set here. And the crowd was all over it. And I think this wasn't a show that you were really looking for the serious collector kind of song, even though we almost had one. We almost had one. We uh, Wishlist was almost not played in favor of light years and i was very upset that we didn't get light years after finding out what the setlist looked like but you know now that we got in toronto i think that was a really special moment and big moment for me there so you know it, it made up for itself i i think but yeah seeing that get the the big old scratch was tough but you know the rest of it like you wanted to come into this hearing the ones that were the most powerful that you can kind of celebrate with the crowd on elderly woman and given a fly are two of the biggest where you can do that. And then at the end of the set too, better man and porch, you can do that with two and hell state of love and trust ain't bad for what it is. That's one that people kind of go crazy about too. And since it's right here, I'll say that I have a little thing. I've, I've mentioned it on the show before. I only mention it when we're covering this song at shows that I've been to. I do a little thing called State of Love and Trust Aerobics. It's something I haven't mentioned in a very, very long time. If that's ringing a bell right now, then you listened to an episode a long time ago. And I don't know, something that kind of gives me a jolt of energy whenever I hear this song is that I have to pogo during it. I just kind of like pogo up and down, and it's just my thing. And then you got to think of where we were at this. We were on sand, so you couldn't really do that. So I was just kind of like stomping into the ground, and that's where 
and I felt like I was being an asshole for a second because I was bopping around and maybe hitting one or two people and just thought, yeah, this ain't the place, so I gotta stop that. But very good performance. Ed's kind of doing this thing in the bridge where he's thinking, you know, he's thinking to myself, I need help, I need help, I need help, and did kind of that thing too, so that sounded pretty cool. Yeah, just a fun kind of loose version where you can tell like they've got almost the whole main set under them now. They're starting to get a little more comfortable and starting to kind of hit those familiar beats and familiar moments on stage. And it felt like they were really kind of hitting their stride, you know, gotten the new songs out of the way, got through it. So they're just kind of coasting here. Not, not in the sense that like they're playing out the street, but you can kind of get to kind of relax a little bit and have a little more fun and, and play around with some of these things. And it felt like State of Love and Trust had that kind of energy to it. Yeah, I agree with that. I can see that. So we're getting towards the end here. Ed says, someday I really hope I can be Patti Smith when I grow up. And then it seems like he's about to say something else, but he's just like, you know what? I got to go on a rant about this whole thing about Bruce getting arrested for taking a shot of tequila. And that story when it came out was the most ridiculous thing because he was in a park and he was riding his motorcycle around and some guys, you know, had stopped and he wanted, you know, wanted to say hi and tell some stories because Bruce is the ultimate storyteller and they gave him a, a bottle of tequila, take a shot of tequila. And, you know, I think Ed's line in this was something like he tells the story for so long that the, the shot probably wear, wore off by the time that, that he was done telling the story. And then the cops kind of pull by and it's not like he was on the motorcycle. It was the intent to drive with alcohol in your system, which I don't like he couldn't have like failed a DUI test, right? Like that. I don't know. I don't know exactly what the situation was, but it was really freaking stupid. You don't arrest the boss in New Jersey. Like, I hope that got that police officer that did that. I hope he was embarrassed by his police force. I hope that everybody shunned him and, and nobody had respect for him afterwards, because I don't think, I don't think anybody should because some people, can be untouchable like that in a way where if you take a shot of tequila and maybe a cop can help you come home like ed suggests instead of like doing something super legal like i don't know like um you know money laundering or something like that you know that that's unforgivable but come on let the guy drink let the guy have a good time he is probably the best thing you have about your state so let him be that takes you into Better Man, which sounds really, really good here. You know, it's one, it, it feels like a very folky version of Better Man. That get, like Stone's rhythm is very strummy in this, and I kind of like the progression of it. And then where they would kind of transition into Save It For Later a little bit, they transition into something else because he had mentioned Patti Smith, mentioned her a couple times in the show, and it's the People Have the Power tag, the first time it's shown up in a very, very long time since 2010.
think like the song has a little bit of history in Pearl Jam too because of the Buffalo moment and Albany moment where the fan got to come on stage and hold the lyrics up so I could read it while singing. And, you know, it's got a good history and it's a fantastic song with a fantastic message that kind of goes into everything that they were doing, not just Patti Smith just being there, but just kind of the time period as well. I think that was one that I think if they did play in 2020, that would have been a cover for that era. They would have played it a lot, I think. Yeah, and they, they brought it back at Ohana and then I think it at one of the shows in Europe too. So maybe feels like it's they've, they've kind of gone back to save it for later on this run that we're on right now. So, But I, I hope I hope people have the power to stick around. I hope they, they rotate it in because it fits in really well and it's uh, it's got a good message. And I think it it can really add something to Better Man that, that Save It For Later does and it gives it a different kind of energy. Crowd sing along with it too, you know, and yeah. Ed can go back and forth. People have the power. It just, it's just, it's fun and it's it's uplifting. So like I mentioned, he absolutely adores Patti Smith. And I believe that Patti Smith actually told a story in her set that she was walking on the beach, you know, morning of the show or morning before or something like that. And she sees this guy just like playing in the water, basically, and just kind of like rolling around and messing around. So she kind of stops to take a look at him. And, you know, he comes up on the shore and it's Ed. It happens to be Ed. So, you know, obviously they spend some time with one another and everything like that. But just a very cool story and goes into all of the well-deserved praise for her that came from the show. All right. And the set is Porch. And maybe this is sort of the evolution of Porch here because we're kind of in the mode now where we have transitioned out of severely riffy Porch, if you know what I mean. Because now it's like, it's it, it, there's no one, two, three, four, but there's also no damn, 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 there's no like real lead up to it. They just go right into it. But, you know, it, it, it's not fast. It's just kind of, it's it's not slow. It's medium porch. You want to call it medium them, porch? They kind of melded the two together to, yeah. to create something new. Yeah. And, that, and if you remember, this is another thing, live on four legs thing from the past. If you remember, that was one of our first big talking points, uh, like, you know, opinion points was that just play fast porch. It was, I think, the two things that we harped on earlier on were play fast porch and play WMA in full. And guess what? Somebody listened. It seems somebody listened. So I don't know if they were thinking the same thing we were already, but somebody listened. Let's just put it that way. Anyway, first show back in a long time, and Ed is feeling a little frisky here. Heads over to one side, starts dancing a little bit, gets on the first run of the scaffolding, then heads to the other side, to Stone's side, and that's the side that we're on, and he starts to climb up. It's not too high, but the way that I'm able to get the angle on my phone, of course my phone is out to, to, to capture this moment, and the way that I'm able to get it on my phone, it looks like he's like stories high. It really does. It looks like he's on top of the world. And then going back and watching the video, I could have swore, like, oh, he was up at least halfway on that. But no, he wasn't. He was just on, like, the first few rows. It kind of reminded me, you know, there's this episode that we did with uh, Johnny Firecloud, who worked on the Antiquiet podcast and all that, and is still doing some things now, I believe. And what he said uh, uh, during the Voodoo Fest episode is he took like his all-time best favorite picture of Ed. And I kind of equated this one to be like mine, 
because I thought that like him kind of looking out in the distance, it, it was a perfect shot. And not only that, but you know, at this point on Twitter, we're just starting to get over a thousand followers. Yes, a thousand. Right now, we're at four thousand guys. And so that's that's how much this has grown in just about a year, which is insane. But at that point, and and that picture, I think is still probably the record for how many retweets and how many likes that we've gotten on a certain post. And the only caption was just take a good look. And the picture went over. It was a big hit. We we pinned it to the homepage, the profile page, and yeah, it's one of the things that I don't take a lot of pictures at shows, but I was I was the most proud of this one. That's a really good moment. Like again, one of the most kind of iconic moments from these shows, and uh, it's a great version of Porch too. I think you could tell that they were ready to kind of let loose on a jam because you know. Better Man, they didn't really get to do the big save it for later moments, so it felt like they were, again, just really loose, really having having a good time with Porch, and it, it's a really cool little jam that they go on. It's long, because they're, I think, a little bit pressed for time, but a really good version nonetheless. Indeed, and that, after an hour and 40 minutes roundabout, has taken us to the encore time to pause for station identification and talk about something that we had been eyeing for as a goal since beginning of the summer. We saw the numbers, we saw the people coming in, and we thought, maybe we can do this, maybe we can do this, maybe this can happen. So the whole goal, and we've been mentioning it the last couple weeks, was to try to get to 200 patrons before episode number 200. And guess what? We did it. But really, it wasn't me and John that did it. Like We can't sign up to our own Patreon. You did it. You all helped us out, and it's the thanks that need to go out to you guys that join up on this, that believe in this, that care about what we're doing, that want to support us. And now we have reached a goal, and we're just, you can say that and sort of, in a way, be like kind of joking, like, oh, you know, 200, like that would be kind of cool. But I think it's just shows that like this community is as strong as ever. And, you know, it also shows that people are, are really supportive of us. And for that, we're, we're just totally thankful. And I wish on this episode we could thank all 204 of you, 203, 204. I think it got to 203 at this point. I hope we can do that someday. And usually I save that for the end of the year special sort of deal. But we do have a lot of people to thank in helping us get to this point. And I think that... There are definitely over 10 people that we can thank right now, so why don't we get to all of it? A brand new bonus leg member, thank you to Jake Bartell. Thank you, Jake. Another bonus leg member, Mark Morrison. Thank you, Mark. How about this one? Sarah Keeley joining the bonus leg, and you might not know that name. However, something important about Sarah, she is the mother of Noah who we talked about a couple weeks ago on the Quebec City show, who got to go on stage and play sad. So we got a little bit of that story, and we actually got a little bit of the background as to why sad didn't get played in Quebec City, and, and yes, they were in Quebec City and all that. So we got a little bit of that story too. So thank you so much for Sarah for joining in. Never in a million years would I have thought that you would even listen to the episode. So very cool. Very cool of you. We really appreciate that. 
joining up on the Horizon Leg tier for the yearly subscription. Thank you so much, Joshua DeButts. Thank you, Joshua. Awesome. Great to always get new members of the Horizon Leg tier to help out with our website funding. And Joshua, if you're listening here, guess what, buddy? You get to have your own profile on the website. You get to have your own profile episode, and you also get to pick a show for us to cover in the future. Think about those things, then get back to us. And for anybody else that wants to join up on the Horizon Leg tier, those are the things that you get. So thank you so much, Joshua. Big, big deal whenever we get a Horizon Leg member. That's a huge help to all of us. All right. Chris Oatley joined in the bonus leg tier. Thank you so much to Chris. Jill Buttaker, who I do know. I have not spoken to Jill one-on-one before, but I know of you, Jill. I know who you are. I'm glad that uh, you're part of this community, and it's really nice to see that you've pitched in. So thank you so much, Jill, joining up on the bonus leg. Then we have to thank, and this is going to get a little confusing for later, but we're going to thank Mike Morrow here, joining up on the bonus leg tier. Thank you, Mike. And we're going to thank, for joining up on the gig leg tier, Tony Wildly. And Tony is somebody that I got to meet over at MSG. Very good guy, real nice guy. He was happy to support us. So thank you so much, Tony, for joining in and coming over to Slattery's when we did that. Joining on the bonus leg tier, Lisa Hamilton. Thank you so much, Lisa. Not done yet. Joining up on the bonus leg tier for the year subscription, Brad Ross. Brad Ross. Thank you so much, Brad. Joining up on the bonus leg tier, Brendan Doyle. I think I've seen your name before, Brendan. If I have, where you at? Let's get in touch. Thank you for joining up to the bonus leg tier, Brendan. And then, as we mentioned Mike Morrow before, we also got a pledge from Michael Morrow. Different emails, different kind of pledges. This is the, the bonus leg for the year. So I don't know if there are two different Mike Morrows. I don't know. So if Michael or Mike reach out and let me know if if these are two different people or not, because I am very, very confused by this. But however, if you are one or two or nine, it doesn't matter. We thank all of you for joining in on Patreon and helping us reach our goal. This has been great, guys. We just we're glad we can entertain you. We're glad that we can give you the stories. We're glad that we can kind of take something that you love and something that you care about so much and kind of work off of that and tell stories that you might not know or stories that you might be reliving for the first time in a very, very long time as sort of a supplement to all of the Pearl Jam content that you already know and listen to on your own time. So Everybody from, you know, Aurelian number one patron to Michael Morrow number 203, we thank you all. You're all terrific. You're all fantastic. We don't do it without you. Love you guys. Hope to see you guys on tour in the near future. I was listening to you read off those names and just blown away by the support that that we've been able to get. And, you know, I think being out at the shows that, you know, you've been able to get to some already, I think helped. And then I'm just kind of speechless over me. It just means so much that, again, you know, going all those 203 people, like you said, from Aurelian all the way through, that you guys have kept supporting the show throughout, 
you know, the last couple of years. And it just, like we always say, it just makes us want to do more and more. And we are, you know, kind of working on something for getting the 200 patrons. It's going to just make us want to do more and more for you guys. But I hope all of our new patrons get to go to live14licks.com. All of the exclusive Patreon episodes are collected right there for you. You can check out all of that bonus stuff that we've, we've been doing over the last couple of years that you now have access to. And yeah, now's, now's a great time to join in. Like I said, we're just because the tour is going to be ending in the next week or so doesn't mean that we're done. we got a lot more cool stuff coming this year and in the, the next few to come. So yeah, just blown away by, by the support and thanks to all our, our patrons, both new and old. You want to sign up if that entices you enough because, hey, we're at 203 right now, but hey, anybody's welcome to do this. It's not like we're stopping anytime soon. We're still going to keep the content coming. Like John says, we are not done. just makes us want to do a lot more. And the more the merrier, as we always say, patreon.com slash live on four legs or download the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or just do what John said before and listen to the stuff on the website. There's a big button that says become a patron and then you can listen to everything right there. So that's what you do if you want to join this big old list of people that we love so much. We'll love you anyway, but we'll have a newfound love for you when you uh... join Patreon. We we should have done a thing where I I was gonna I should have made it a thing where I would shave your head if we got to two hundred. Uh, no. I could have I could have brought my clippers to Nashville and we could have we could have made a big thing of that. No, no, or <laughs> or maybe you just do the Hillary Duff deprogrammed instead. <laughs> no, I think I think Brandon's doing that one. Oh, is he actually? T- <laughs> enjoy enjoy that, Brandon. Cool. I'm I'm all for it. I'll listen to that one. All right, back to the rock. We got three songs left in this, and we didn't really talk much about the sound check, but this song was actually played in the sound check, and there's a little story behind it. We're gonna play as long as they let us. introduce you to some new friends, some new friends as of yesterday. Um, I, was, I was looking for uh, Asbury's finest local singers and uh, and with two hours notice, we got them. They're superheroes to me and uh, for example, uh, Jason, raise your hand, Jason. Jason was in a classroom teaching when he got the word. He ran out of the class, put on his cape, and got to the venue, and we were playing within an hour. Uh, And here's Alexander right there. Josh, Alexander Simone, and uh, Joshua Rivers. Michelle Rushing, Michelle! And then Jason Rogers on the end. I probably wouldn't have played this song um, without him, but the fact that I get to play it with him means the world to me. And um, uh, here we go.
There's a blood red circle on a cold dark ground And the rains are falling down The church doors don't open, I can hear the organ song but the congregation's gone My sea of ruins My sea of ruins Now the sweet bells of mercy Drifting through the evening trees Coming on the corner like scattered The empty streets And my brother's down On his knees My Now I gotta, I gotta, I gotta mention this Because there was so much talk up until that point and the whole entire weekend and even in the months before that they're all oh, they're in New Jersey they're in Asbury Park and for a long time Bruce's wife was supposed to have a set at the show and she had she had canceled uh, nobody knows why but but she canceled and Bruce being a local guy and everybody kind of putting two to get two together everybody thought he's showing up here that that's it. We're gonna we're gonna get Bruce joining the stage. Of course he didn't, or else people probably wouldn't have stopped talking about it. But I think when everybody heard that they had done this in soundcheck, I thought it was probably pretty inevitable. But no, and and I think that's a good thing because I said back then I said it on the roundtable again because I mentioned it on that. I think it's a good thing because if he joined for this song. This whole entire show, the narrative on it would have been about Bruce instead of being about Pearl Jam's first show back. And that comes from both non-Pearl Jam fans and media critics and also Pearl Jam fans that, you know, obviously this being a big moment because I think that the two fandoms definitely have a lot of crossover, of course. How can, you know, the, you know they're very similar in storytelling styles. But... And I wonder if there was some discussion backstage, behind the scenes of like, hey, you know, should we, can we? And I, 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 can, I can honestly see maybe them asking Bruce and Bruce telling them like, look, no, this is about you guys tonight. You know, you guys do your thing, you know, take the moment and, and enjoy it. And, you know, there was a point where you can see during this song, Ed kind of like looking off to the side. And while, while looking at that, I was like, uh-oh. Here it is. He's looking. He's looks like he's asking for somebody over there, and then it never happened. And you know what? It was pretty relieving to see it never happen. I hate to say that about somebody like Bruce, but sometimes you gotta let this be its own thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Bruce has ever come out and guested at a Pearl Jam show. No, it's been Ed guesting it yeah. at his shows, like doing yeah. Highway to Hell, and they've done Better Man together. I don't remember what fashion they did it I don't know if it was like a, a benefit or something like that but they have played together you know more than a couple of times but never at a Pearl Jam show no right and I, and I think the the reason you kind of hit on this too is I think Bruce is almost too big 
of that happen. Like it would just overwhelm in his hometown the, the rest of the show. Yeah. But I really like the way that they did this here. Like My City of Ruins is from The Rising and it, the song is written about Asbury Park from what I'm reading here. I really like the tie-in. And this is Ed Solo with the local singers. And we should mention one of them is is Alexander Simone, who is Nina Simone's grandson. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Correct. That, that's pretty cool. Uh, and I think at one point Ed goes, oh, I'm going to sing this first for Nina. It's There's kind of a tie-in, too. Like you, you mentioned, he, he mentions uh, getting Jason, who was in a classroom. Reminded me a lot of uh, the the story of Richard Stewart. Of course. Being in a classroom teaching and like, Okay, got you, hey, you got to come right now. We need you. But yeah, I, I, I like the tie-in of, I think, having the extra singers adds a lot to the, the performance, and it gives it a little more a little more weight to it. And I, yeah, I, I really like how the, this worked out. This was kind of the big surprise moment. And Bruce not being there, notwithstanding, it's one of the best moments. It was definitely like a picture-esque moment, like something that you'll always kind of remember seeing. And the backup singers sound really, really good on it. And they they bring a depth of emotion into the song that I think he was gunning for there. So, yeah, I, I like it. And it was an emotional moment, too. Like, maybe tie it into the pandemic and everything like that, of course. But, yeah, a nice choice there. And, look, he hasn't done a lot of the solo stuff during this this, this year. So he's only really done a couple of pre-shows and really stopped when, when they got to Europe. So we're missing that aspect and a lot of people don't like that aspect as much and i'm kind of on the fence about it sometimes but to see it here and to kind of get a refresh on it now is nice so yeah it was a nice moment and then the whole band comes on stage because they don't have a lot of time at all and they're going to do live and rocking in the free world and at one point live i don't know if you noticed this but it sounded like ed said we didn't practice this. Yeah. I thought when hearing it live that it sounded a little sludgy, that it didn't quite have the groove that they were going for with it. I didn't really notice that listening back. It must have been just an, an observation from the moment. But yeah, I think the moment I'm going to take out of this was that there was a girl, her name is Clarissa, and she was standing next to me most of the night at least for Pearl Jam. And she was very, very nice, very sweet person. Said it was her first show. She's living in Columbus, and she's from Mexico, uh, or at least is Mexican heritage. And she's about four foot ten. So when they go to do a live, and I think she was, like, eyeing a couple people to, like, hey, can you lift me on your shoulders so I can, like, see this, actually see this show. Well, you know, she finally did during a live, which is, of course, the perfect moment to kind of celebrate and be on top of the crowd where I don't think people are going to mind. Well, if you do that in present tense, people are going to start throwing tomatoes at you, you know, but she's up there. She's got the Mexican flag, her first show after all this. And I think she said she had some shows she was going to when 2020 was supposed to happen. And she just looked like she was on top of the world. And I was really happy for her. I took a bunch of pictures and we got to be friends on Instagram a little bit. And I sent her the pictures and, and yeah, you know, that's what it's all about. Everybody getting their own stake of it, everybody getting their own moment. And, and that was a really nice thing for her. And I'm glad that she had that from this show. That's a cool moment. I remember you telling that, telling us about that at the time. The we didn't practice this is, is funny. I mean, they, they could probably play this in their sleep off of muscle memory. But right. uh, I did like, again, appreciated the kind of looseness of it. And I thought Boom actually sounded really good on the organ, too. Had a, had a couple of nice moments, too. But the crowd takes the, you know, of course there is. 
but you get another another big crowd moment at the end. But yeah, I mean, you're you're getting your you know your classic quote unquote bread and butter here to end it. That this is the way they're going to do it. They're having a great time, and there is actually a guest who comes out for Rockin' in the Free World, Lenny K. Lenny K. From from Patty Smith's band. So yeah. that was that was a cool moment as well. And not only that, but after the song ends. He's like, I don't know if he's just like (laughs) super excited or what, but he's just like, what an awesome fucking band. This is the righteous shit, man. It's just like an old hippie from the 60s. Just like at this point, what he's 75 years old. He's yeah, he's up there and he's still killing it. He he killed it in Patty's set and he killed it here, too. I love just watching him and Stone just go at it with one another. It feels like. You know, he's the same kind of style as Stone. It feels like he's kind of like the music writer for Patty and everything like that. And Stone kind of filling in that role for Pearl Jam. And and maybe even Lenny gets kind of forgotten about within her band because it's always been about her. So, like, seeing them two together is kind of like a, almost like a mirror image in a way, you know? Yeah. Oh, you know, Stone looks up to Lenny K. He hopes he can be that cool when he's 75. Guess what? He won't be. That means, <laughs> but that means he will be. That's the thing. He won't be cool, but being not being cool will make him cool because he's stone, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, this was just fun. This performance was just fun. You know, uh, he does this little speech kind of during the breakdown where he says, "When we heard this was going to be a festival on the beach, we had no idea it was going to be that nice of a day on the beach." We thank Danny and Tim and a couple other people. Thanks for bringing the music and the surf and 35,000 people out there. We can't thank you enough. And then he starts singing, uh, thank you, Asbury. He starts doing some chants on that, too. And uh, it sounded really good. And Lenny and Stone get to, to jam at the end. Josh grabs a guitar, starts playing. I guess that's his first moment playing guitar with the band. That was the first moment where we got to see Mike with a mask, too. So interesting on that. And, then, you know, I think that was always something I was looking for with Mike because we knew how serious that he was taking it. So he did wear it a little bit in Europe and more in some other places. But, you know, now it's been Stone that seems to be wearing the mask the whole entire time. So, all right. That's the end of this show. 20 songs right there. And pretty important, pretty important for a lot of reasons. So why don't we get to picking some important moments here? John, take it away. All right. My number three moment is going to be Quick Escape. My number two moment is My City of Ruins. And my number one moment is going to be Present Tense. Yeah, I'm two of the three on that with you. I'm just going to say for the number three that it's like, it's just the presence that the band brought to the stage and just the idea of that, like this was such a long time coming and how that kind of defined the theme for the night. And it didn't even define it in a way where they had to talk about it every single time, but it was just, it was known and everybody was waiting for it. The band was waiting for it. And then when Ed came out and kind of gave that, like, you know, kind of almost like he hugged the crown in a way and said like, there you are. I've been waiting for you that was the point where I was just like, wow, they, they still exist. They still exist. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a part of. That is essentially what the number three is. And then I'm going to do quick escape at number two and then present tenses at number one. That is by far hands down the moment of the night, you know, especially in that spot in the set where, 
You'd think they'd do some more songs kind of like Corduroy to kind of get the crowd fired up and stuff, but no, that's like the most kind of emotional route they take with like My City of Ruins and a little bit of Wishlist as well. So yeah, great show and great one to kind of come back on and almost do like a re-debut a little bit. So now we get to the point where we have to rate it and it's going to be interesting because this is a really important show. It happens at a really important time, but what weighs more? Does the story weigh more than the actual performances? How does that kind of balance out? So, John, you're going to go first. Explain your pick. Yeah, and for the longest time, I thought that this was a little bit of a missed opportunity because, like I said, they could have come out with Long Road, Release, Black, River Cross, and just hit all of those emotional beats and big moments and just made a big thing of it but they chose not to do that and probably for the better because they probably weren't ready to do that yet they really wanted to just get out there get a show under their belt and build off of that and see how it goes you know three years not playing is a long time for a band that really makes its living on stage and really relies on those on those big crowd moments to feed them and to give them that energy on stage to really elevate the performances with that in mind, like I said, some some very very good stuff, some some very good Ed banter, and some some classic performances. I'm going to give this one a nine. Yeah, I, I think that the storylines that are coming into it, I think, are super important. But I agree with you that, like, if it did have the emotional ties, if it did feel like they wanted to bring the tear jerkers into the crowd, then it would have kind of cemented that sort of moment and and maybe that would have been more impactful and instead you know they decide like all right let's just share our happiness and and just play to our hearts content because we haven't done this in so long and i think that everybody thought that the emotional side was going to take over and when it didn't i think everybody was a little bit blindsided like oh all right well it's going to be this and in kind of a vacuum it kind of seems like it might be a less of an important show than than it is but it's still the beginning of a new era it's still six debuts of gigaton songs it's still the intro to all of this that we had been waiting for for a very 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 long time and i think that that's important of itself and i also have a, a personal tie to it being there and this being really the first show that I went to as being part of the podcast and really going into the history of the podcast kind of deal, like felt like it was the first time I was able to sort of meet some people and kind of get out in the world a little bit with that. And go back to the round table once again, that I met so many good friends and, and had so many good memories from this. I think that is an easy pull to make this one where I would say that the experience in itself weighs way more than the set list. I think the set list might be kind of where you are at a nine, but I think the experience is where I'm going to end up giving it a 10 because I do think that it, again, it's personal, but I, I think that like with all that build, with all that talk and with what everybody was was hoping for out of this show. Like, I think everybody got something that, that they can be proud of with this. And maybe, maybe it doesn't get remembered as, as much as the Ohana shows, but this is definitely one that we should be talking about a lot more in the coming years. Will we? 
remains to be seen, but this was the beginning of a new era and will always, always, always stay that way. So there we are. We did it. Episode number 200 is in the books. So what happens now, John? We go to 201, right? Yeah, start, start another 100. Yep. 203 and onward. So if you're one of these people that just likes milestone episodes, I think you're going to have to wait two years. Because I think episode number 100 was around October of 2020, which is, is two years. And now this being September 2022. So you're going to have to wait about two years for us to get to that point. So either we'll see in 2024 or just keep listening. Just keep listening to see what we do because we have a lot of tricks up our sleeves. we got a lot of plans. And for next week, we're going to go back to doing a little bit of the Patreon request. We're going to go to 1995 and do a show from that very tight little September run that they did that was making up for some of the shows that they missed. And that would be from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Our first time doing a New Mexico show coming in there and that is a patreon request from joel kobenschlag so can't wait to do that and can't wait for the next 100 guys because you know the 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 first 100 were really good and really excited about that the next 100 were even better and you know if if this is the trend then i think we're going to see a real good 225 a real good 250 a real good 275 all the way up into a real good 300 so hopefully you guys keep tuning in hopefully you guys enjoy the content and if you do head on over to apple spotify subscribe and then rate the show on apple if you give us a comment then we will send you a bootleg of your choosing just let us know who you are like we did find out who Darth Vader was that we mentioned the other week. We found out we it was actually Dakota. So I, I ended up meeting Dakota at MSG. He seemed like a oh, really cool. nice guy. Uh, I think he's going to some of the shows. And again, some of that would have happened at this point, but that are now in the past, I suppose. And can't wait to, to meet more people and see more people. And that's what it's all about here. So, all right. Thank you, everybody, for helping us celebrate this one. This was really important and special to us. And uh, whenever you guys have a milestone that you'd like to celebrate, we'll be right there waiting and waiting to help you. So this may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. I miss you always. Until next time, we'll see you for 201. Absolutely everything's changed. Take care of one another. What a fucking awesome band. This is the righteous shit, man. Yeah, man. We love you. Give each other hugs. No, keep your distance. Sorry, I don't know what to say. But we love you. Uh, Have a great night tomorrow. I'll see you out in the surf. Much love. I love it here, thanks so much.